Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. You need to stay in communication. And I think your dispo person can definitely be that person. Uh, let your acquisitions person stay focused on the next contract and let your dispo person work on the contract that is currently signed and, and ready to go. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I have another live Q&A replay for you that I'm excited about. Uh, this one was a lot of fun. There's certain Q&As where people ask me specific questions that really uh, fire me up. And, and this was one of those times, not in a bad way, but they ask me questions about things that I'm particularly passionate about and things that I really like talking about. And so I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of a rant on one of them. And, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I love when that happens because, uh, yeah, there's just certain aspects of the business that I just think is super fun to talk about and super exciting for me. And I feel like I have a special expertise. So, uh, that is that this was one of those and it was a lot of fun. So we talked about a lot of stuff, the dispositions process when it comes to wholesaling and taking that seller, um, purchase agreement and finding an end buyer and maximizing that that assignment and that that transaction. I love that part of it, and I am just really really good at it. So uh, when that question's asked, I, I usually go off for quite a while, and I did. I talked pretty much in depth about that whole dispositions process and how that works in my company and how it works in other companies, and gave a little insight into how you do that and best practices. So that was a lot of fun. We also talked about seller financing and kind of explained what that is. The question came up: Can you explain seller financing? So I did, and uh, also talking about managing remote workforces. And I try to give a little bit of clarity and levity into that whole um, debate and discussion because I know that's a big thing. With COVID uh, having entered our life a few years ago, a lot of people are working remote that were not before. And businesses and managers and owners and people who are in charge of teams uh, get a little bit antsy and a little bit uncomfortable understanding what people are doing all day and how do you deal with that. So we had that that discussion. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. I had a lot of fun with this one. So hopefully you guys uh, feel that and you get a lot from it. I think there was a lot of good stuff in here. So I give you my latest Q&A. 
All right, welcome to my Wednesday live. Guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This week, I am not live. I apologize. This is a pre-recorded Q&A. And the reason it's pre-recorded is because I'm currently, as you're watching this, if you're watching it live, I am in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> I'm attending Flip Hacking Live. I've announced uh, a couple times to you guys. And if you follow my podcast or you're on my email list, you know that I've been talking about this now for a few months. Uh, I'm at Flip Hacking Live, which if you're not here at the event, you're really missing out, actually. This is the premier event, honestly, in the entire year for real estate investors. Um, there is supposed to be, and I could tell you if you were watching live and I was on this live, exactly how many people are there, but somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people are going to be in attendance. And it is just an amazing three days of speakers and networking opportunities and just amazing content all day long for three days and lots of sharing and lots of kind of letting people behind the curtain on their business and showing them exactly how they're making money and what they're doing to make money, talking about the current state of real estate, what the market's like and how everyone's navigating that kind of stuff. It's just an amazing event. It's, it's really the who's who of real estate professionals from around the country. And the speakers that are speaking at this event this week are just second to none. They're just amazing. And I'm a little bit biased because I'm one of them, but there's a couple of dozen others who are going to be on stage just sharing some incredible stuff and talking about what they're doing in their business. Everything from wholesaling to flipping to Airbnb to long-term rentals, mid-term rentals, short-term rentals. Um, all of it's going to be talked about. All aspects of running these businesses from some of the most successful real estate investors in the entire country. So if you're not here, you missed out this year. But you should grab your tickets to next year's event if uh, if you can as quickly as possible because it will be amazing again. There's no doubt about it. And we do this every year in October. Um, and uh, this year it's in Orlando. I don't know where it's going to be next year yet, but um, you should grab your tickets as soon as possible. So as you're watching this, if you're watching it live, I'm actually going to be speaking tomorrow. And so wish me luck tomorrow that it goes well. Hopefully it will. I've been honing and, and crafting this presentation to try to really knock it out of the park. And I'm, what I'm going to talk about is uh, what it takes to be successful building your business in any market, whether it's a recession like we're kind of in now or a market where house prices are going up, all of that, right? There's there's a common denominator and some things that, that are just universally true in, in any market. And what I'm going to focus on is what are the recession-proof uh, strategies and things that you do in your business to be successful uh, through these times. So wish me luck tomorrow. Okay, so as for today, uh, I'm going to dive into the questions. Before I do that, guys, I've been announcing this, and um, I, I, you should take advantage of it if you haven't. But in our businesses, as real estate investors, one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we have to be aware of as business owners in this real estate world are leads. We need to get leads in our business in order to be successful. There's no such thing as a successful real estate business that never gets leads, right? So we all agree that we need leads. And one of the best sources of leads in any real estate business is direct mail. Now, you can argue that, you know, Facebook ads and, and, and uh, social media is is growing and it's getting more and more prevalent in, in lead generation. And I'm not going to argue that. But what I will say is, for now, as we sit here and speak today, 
direct mail is still incredibly effective, probably the most effective source of lead generation in real estate. So to that end, I have spent over a million dollars on real estate um, uh, direct mail. I, I have spent well over a million dollars on direct mail and I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've also made a lot of money, millions of dollars in, in direct mail. And I have taken everything that I've learned and I put it into a program called Winning Direct Mail. And you can go and check that out. If you go to my website, I'll put it up here on the screen. Go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. You can get my video course. It's only five videos, but it's very comprehensive and it's everything you need to know to have a winning direct mail strategy in your business and start driving better leads into your business, more motivated leads and better leads. And so you can grab that for free. Uh, I've said it recently. I'm, I'm thinking about making that a paid course uh, because I think it's that valuable. I think it should be a paid course. But for now, for as you're listening to this live today, uh, it's free. So go and grab it before uh, I put a price tag on that, which I may do in the future. So you can grab that at winningdirectmail.com or just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail and grab that and start applying it, guys. I want you to get more leads in your business. Okay. Uh, let's dive into the questions this week. Like I said, this is recorded. Uh, I'm not live today. I'm not live this week. Uh, I'm in Orlando. So I'm going to be using some questions that we got in via email and text messaging and direct mail. And I'm not, not direct mail, uh, direct messaging and, and some other ways that people send us questions. I'm going to read those. Uh, there won't be any interaction with anybody live. So if you are live, Thank you for being here. I appreciate it, but I'm not live. So if you ask questions in the chat, don't get mad. I'm not going to answer them because I am currently at Flip Hacking Live. So, but I didn't want to not do this because I think a lot of people log on and, and they're on here listening and they just want to be a fly in the wall and listen and get some good free information. Uh, and also this is, is replayed on my podcast and, and I work, we get a lot of downloads for these episodes. So <clears throat> I want to make sure I do it, uh, but it is not live. Okay. First question up on the screen. What does your dispositions process look like? What do you consider the most important characteristics of a great dispo manager? Great question. Uh, I could talk for three hours nonstop, almost without taking a breath on this question, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be succinct and try to answer this uh, as as clearly and as succinctly and, um, and, and without going on and on. The dispo process in my company might be a little different than other more traditional dispo processes, but in general, a dispo process starts after there's a there's a purchase agreement. So once your acquisitions team or your acquisitions manager or whoever gets that purchase agreement from the seller, that purchase agreement then goes into the dispositions person's hand, the dispositions manager goes into his or her hand. Okay, so that's where the process starts. They don't get purchase agreements from sellers. Um, in a traditional dispositions role, um, they don't interact a lot with sellers. My dispositions manager does interact with the sellers. Once the purchase agreement is signed, the acquisitions person is typically out. They're, they're done. They, they no longer communicate with that seller and it goes to the dispositions manager. In some companies, the acquisitions manager will maintain that communications with the seller because there's rapport that's been built, time that's been put into that relationship, and, and they just sort of stay involved in that so that it, it doesn't fall apart or sellers don't start feeling like they're just being handed off and they lose confidence in the whole process. But in our world, we've tried it both ways. It works well for us to have our dispositions manager take over all communications with the sellers and of course with the buyers, right? Dispositions managers, traditionally their role is to take that purchase agreement and go find a buyer. 
And usually that buyer is a, um, a landlord or a house flipper, and that we're going to kind of sell that contract to. We're going to assign the contract to that end buyer. And so dispositions typically handles that transaction with the buyer. In our world, like I said, our dispo manager takes over all communications with the seller. And so once we have a purchase agreement, the dis our dispositions manager is in total control of that whole thing, end to end, from seller to buyer, all the way through to the title company. We let him manage that whole process. And so his main job is to take the purchase agreement and market it out to our buyers as fast as possible and get those negotiations with the buyers going as soon as possible, get a deposit from the buyer as soon as possible and get it to the closing table, you guessed it, as soon as possible. It's all about speed in our dispositions manager's world. Everything is about speed. Now, we wanna maximize the value, we wanna maximize the revenue on every single purchase agreement that we get. And so we don't sacrifice value for speed but speed is always at the front of our mind once we get a purchase agreement. And the reason why we attach so many elements of time to our dispositions manager's world and to the metrics that we measure him on is because if you've been doing this a long time, if you've been in real estate for a while, you know that once you get a purchase agreement from a seller, as time goes by, as the hours and the days and the weeks sort of you know, click off and, and time moves on, usually only bad things happen. And when I say bad things, usually it comes in the form of the seller changing their mind, speaking to a neighbor or a relative or somebody else who thinks they know something about this transaction and putting doubt in the mind of the seller. So, and, and sometimes they don't even talk to somebody. Sometimes doubt just creeps in. You spoke to them and you know, if it takes too long to close and a couple of weeks go by and you've not reached out to them and done a good job of keeping that communication line open, a few weeks go by and they start going, you know what? I wonder if that guy who came out here and talked to me, I wonder if he's legit. Maybe he's a scam artist. Maybe he isn't going to close. I haven't heard from him in two weeks. How do I even know what's happening right now? Like, I don't know what's going on. And they start having this, they start building this scenario and this, this story in their head until they finally just go, you know what? I'm out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this guy. Right. And so there's a lot of things that go into the dispo process that keep that from happening. The number one thing that should happen in the dispo process is we get from purchase agreement signing Okay, on this day, whatever day you sign it, to the closing table as soon as possible. If you're a wholesaler, that means hopefully within a few weeks, you know, two to four weeks, you should be closing on this thing, if not sooner. If you're a house flipper or a landlord, you want to get to the closing table as soon as possible and close this thing. If you have private money at your disposal, all you need to do is get through the title process. Make sure that the title is clean and you need to get to closing. But whatever time that takes, you know, every everybody's title company works at a different time pace, right? Or a different schedule. So you need to push the title company to get your stuff done and through title as soon as possible. But regardless of what takes one week or four weeks or whatever, you should be having dispositions manager or the acquisitions manager, whoever's in charge of this part of your business, needs to stay in constant communication with the seller. Even if you have no news to report to them, you need to reach out to them and let them know, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, I'm just reaching out to let you know 
We're still working on the title work. We're still doing, you know, the title checks and all that stuff. Everything's going great. We're excited to close with you. I have nothing new to report. I just wanted to reach out and let you know that we're working on the file. Everyone's excited to close and, and get you paid and, and move forward. So um, if you have any questions, let me know, but I'm just reaching out to stay in touch. That goes a long way. I have seen too many people, and I've done it, I've been guilty of this in my company, of getting a purchase agreement and you're working on the title work, you got other deals that you're working on, other other purchase agreements you're trying to get you know, signed, and you sort of just go, well, we're working on it, we'll get back to the seller whenever we have something to tell them, right? But if there's nothing to tell them for two or three weeks because you know the title work's just taking a little longer, whatever, they start feeling doubt. Doubt starts creeping in for them. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of people that we're buying houses from don't have the most structured, organized, well-crafted situation going on in their life, right? They have a little bit of chaos. Um, they've made some bad chess moves throughout their life that's put them in a predicament. Like they have a history of things not going well. And so when you just go dark on them or you don't communicate with them for a week or two or three or four, they just assume something bad is going to happen again. And, and they start getting cold feet and they'll back out or whatever. So you need to stay in communication. And I think your dispo person can definitely be that person. Uh, let your acquisitions person stay focused on the next contract and let your dispo person work on the contract that is currently signed and, and ready to go. Um, and you can kind of play with that and see what makes more sense for the workload of your dispo person versus your acquisitions person. And, and personality-wise, if your dispo person has the right personality to step in and take over that communication, either way, somebody needs to do it. But our dispo person, really, the, the job of them is to get that purchase agreement into their hands create the marketing that's going to go out to our buyers. And usually that is, well, not usually, always, it's an email for sure. Uh, a text message or a text blast to our to our buyers list. Um, we do ringless voicemail also to our to our list. And then, you know, we wait and we take the calls. We start fielding offers and calls as they come in. If the calls aren't coming in, we wait a day or two. We'll send that marketing piece back out. Maybe we'll lower the price a little bit because maybe we had it a little bit too high, pricing it a little bit too aggressively. And, and that goes on and on until we reach the right price and we find a buyer and we go to closing. But the minute we get that purchase agreement, the minute we get it, our dispo person is sending it to title and getting that title work started. So when we find the buyer, whether that's one day, 10 days, two weeks later, whatever it is, we know the title work has been started, hopefully done by the time we find a buyer. And then we're now we're pushing the buyer to close, right? We've already been pushing the title company, dispo person has. Now that dispositions manager is pushing the buyer to close, right? We're constantly pushing and sort of herding cats to the finish line. If we need any more documents or anything else from the seller, we're getting that along the way. Which we're proactively reaching out to the buyer and getting their documents of LLC, um, you know, getting all their authorizations and getting their wire information, all this stuff. We're getting them wire information for the title company. All that stuff is being handled like fast. It's like a fire drill. Like we're the minute that purchase agreement hits the desk of the dispo guy, there's just a clock going off in his head. And he's trying to get through the title work. He's trying to get to the buyer. Then he's trying to get the buyer to the closing, get to the closing, get the seller paid. We get paid. Buyer moves on and gets their deal. We're pushing that process the whole time. That's the dispositions process, guys. And, and you should be pushing them. What are the characteristics of a great dispo manager? 
I think they need to be driven. They can't be a, you know, sit back and let's wait and see what happens. Like, you know, I put this out to our buyers list. I, I sent a marketing piece out. I'm just sort of waiting. Like you, if we don't hear the phone ringing pretty quickly after putting out a marketing piece to our buyers, we should be getting on the phone and calling some of our best buyers and saying, Hey, we just sent you this email. You didn't respond. I think it's one you would like. Like it, it's just, it's constantly pushing and pushing. So I want them to be very motivated. I want them to be impatient. Now that impatience has, you know, this negative, you know, characteristic attached to it. It's like, nobody wants to be considered impatient. I want my dispo person to be impatient. I want them to be very impatient because I'm impatient. And I know that the reality of the situation is, like I said a minute ago, bad things happen when purchase agreements just sort of sit on a shelf and collect dust. We need to get to closing. And so I want my dispo person to always want things to go faster and be very, very impatient. So driven and impatient. And I need them to be a good negotiator. Like dispo is all about negotiation. It's not really sales. It falls under the sales category, right? Because you're you're like selling this, this purchase agreement to a buyer. I get that. But it's not traditional sales. It's way, way closer to negotiation and negotiator than it is to like traditional sales. Traditional sales is a lot about relationships and building rapport and that kind of thing. And while that can be helpful to a dispositions person to create a re, you know good relationships with our buyers, I'm way more interested in efficiency and negotiation. I want someone who's a really shrewd, really good, tough negotiator. That's what I want out of my dispo person. So driven, impatient. And if you got those two characteristics, and and when I say driven, I mean they they want to win. Like they're driven to win. They like to win. They don't like to lose and they want to get things done and they can work independently. They don't need to be pushed. They don't need to be prodded. They don't need to be encouraged. Like they want to go out every day and conquer and negotiate. That's who I want for my dispositions person. I think they're the best when they're that. So that's who I would try to get. All right. Next question. Can you explain seller financing? Yeah. In a nutshell, and this won't take long, seller financing is when the seller is basically playing the bank. So you you have a seller who owns a house free and clear. It's paid off. They've owned it for 30 years, 40 years, whatever. And they want to sell. And they maybe want more for the house than you're willing to pay in cash. And they don't need the money all up front. Or maybe they don't even want the money all up front, right? One of the great selling points of seller financing when you're talking to a, a homeowner or seller is, listen, if I pay you the entire amount all at one time, you're going to get long-term capital gains charged, right? You're going to have to pay long-term capital gains. However, if I give you a down payment, right? Let's just say we're buying the house for 200000 If I give you $20,000, you will get taxed on that 20000 but I'll pay you the rest in monthly installments. So you're not getting this great big hit on your taxes, right? And there might be a variety of reasons why people don't want to have that huge tax hit, okay? And so seller financing means the seller says, okay, I'm gonna, I'll sell you the house for 200000 You give me $20,000 down. I get that immediately, right? At closing. And then... I'm going to finance the other 180,000 over a certain amount of years at a certain, you know, interest rate or not. And sometimes people negotiate 0% interest and it's just a flat payment 
over the course of five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever you negotiate, right? It's very flexible and it can be whatever you guys agree on. But essentially, the seller is holding that note, right? They are the ones holding the note. You're paying them uh, the, the mortgage on the house, not a bank, not a private lender or anybody. Like the person who you're buying from is financing, they're playing bank on whatever portion of the purchase price that you're not giving them up front, right? At closing. So that seller financing, the seller just becomes the bank and you're paying them every single month for the house that you bought. You own it, it's your house, but they're the bank, right? So if you don't pay them, they can foreclose and take their house back just like a bank would. That's that's seller financing. And the great thing about seller financing is it allows you to buy a house without having the need for so much money up front, right? You don't have to borrow money from anybody. And, um, and two, it can allow you to pay a little bit more to a seller to get closer to the price that they really want for the house because you're paying them over time. And so you're giving, they're giving you terms in exchange for a higher purchase price. Now, if you were only prepared to pay them 150, you might be able to pay them 200. If you can spread those payments out over 15 years at 0% interest, that would be great, right? And then that all makes sense. If they want uh, the whole 200, maybe that's how you have to do it. Uh, if not, you give them 150 because that's really what you want to pay them. And then you use hard money or private money or um, some bank loan or whatever, whatever you do, right? However you come up with the money. But seller financing means you don't borrow the money and the seller is the one financing the deal. They are financing the house that they're selling to you by becoming the bank and you pay them every month. So that's seller financing in a nutshell. Obviously, there's more to it when it comes to negotiating and the contracts and all that. <clears throat> but that's essentially what seller financing is. Okay, next question, perhaps the last one. We'll see how this goes. Uh, I'm struggling to manage our remote workforce. I feel like I have no idea what's going on. Thoughts? This is a struggle with anybody who has a remote workforce. A lot of companies nowadays after COVID, big companies, big, big, big companies, right, are struggling with the same thing. They had a remote workforce during COVID. So a lot of those workers still want to be remote. So a lot of companies are offering a remote option uh, for employment because our world has changed. After COVID, our world has forever changed. And a lot of people got a taste of working from home and they want to do that. They don't want to go back to an office. And so you're not alone here. There's software and things that you can use to like screen, you know, do a screen capture of your employee's um, computer. You know, it kind of takes random screenshots so you can look at it. I say, if you hire the right people and the work is getting done, I personally, my philosophy is I don't really care exactly how many hours they're working, what hours they're working, as long as the work's getting done. The way that you know that, you know, like you said, you have no idea what's going on. Well, if the work isn't getting done, you'll know because the work won't get done. The title work won't get done on time. The contract uh, frequency or like the number of contracts you're getting from your acquisitions person will start to slip. Your dispositions process will start taking too long. Buyers will, by the way, Buyers will call and say, hey, I can't get a hold of Johnny, the dispo manager. Um, I don't know when we're closing. He hasn't sent me the assignment contract. Like You'll start getting this feedback from people. You'll start getting these inquiries about, hey, I can't get a hold of so-and-so. I don't know what's happening. And then you know that they're not doing their work. So 
as long as the work's getting done, you know, the, the contracts are coming in, they're getting processed in the same amount of time it took before, they're, you're getting buyers and you're, the money's coming in from title and the whole, the whole process is churning like it always has, then I say don't stress out too much about the little stuff, about what they're doing all day long, every single day, every single hour of every single day. For my team, they all know I don't care if they start work at nine and get done at five or if they start work at 10 and they work until two and they take a three hour break and then they work again till seven, like whatever that is, I don't really care as long as the works. And frankly, I don't even necessarily care if they're not working eight hours. I'm not paying them for eight hours work. I'm not paying them hourly for some, some of them. Some of them I do, but some of them I don't. I don't necessarily care that they're working eight hours. I care that the work's getting done and I care that nothing is getting missed or slipping. And if that's the case, I don't micromanage their day. And you can ask anybody that works for me. I, I am not a micromanager. I, I'm not. But if I, they all know this too. If I see them drop the ball once, then I assume that they're dropping the ball a lot more that I didn't see or that I'm not aware of, right? I call it the cockroach theory. They say when you see one cockroach in your house, you can bet that there's hundreds of them in the walls and all over under the floors. Like they're everywhere, right? If you see one, there's hundreds. I tell my team, if I see one sort of like dumb mistake or like taking the eye off the ball or not getting something done on time, then I have to assume you're dropping the ball a lot more and I'm just not seeing it. Like it's not, it's not evident to me. And so I get real inquisitive when I start seeing things go wrong because I, I assume the worst, unfortunately. But if things are not going wrong and I don't see them dropping the ball, I don't look for problems that don't present themselves necessarily, right? And that may sound negligent, but understand what I'm saying. I expect my team to get their work done on time and of a high quality. And if that is happening, I don't look for reasons to question them. I just don't. And, and that's the way I operate. And I think everyone appreciates that. And so you don't have to know what's going on minute to minute, hour to hour. But you need in your everybody needs in their business metrics and certain things that they track that so they know how things are going. Um, we call them KPIs, and and we I've talked about this on past Q and As. I've presented. I, I've done a lot, and we can talk about it more in the future. But my team has we have company KPIs, and we have departmental and and, and individual KPIs. And some of the KPIs that I track are activity based. Right, they're activities that happen during the course of the day and the week. Other KPIs are results based, meaning they're sort of what has happened already, right? Maybe what happened last week or what happened last month. And so we have both those things. And I know if the if the activity KPIs are being met, then I reasonably know that the results that I'm looking for are going to happen. And so when the results stop happening. I look at the activity KPIs, and if the activities are not happening, then I know I have an, an employee problem or we have an issue we have to talk about. Things are not getting done. And that's how we know things are getting done in our company. So hopefully that answers your question. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop there. We're about a half an hour in. I think that's good. Um, I will be back next week live. I'll be back from Orlando. I can tell you all about the event 
and uh, give you a little insight of some things that I learned, hopefully. Uh, I always do it Flip Hacking Live. It's a great event. I, I learn every time I go. So uh, I'll tell you what I learned there and kind of give you some insight into how that went. So uh, until next week, guys, go and get your free copy of Winning Direct Mail. You can go to winningdirectmail.com or go to my website, mikesimmons.com. Just click on the link. It's right there on the homepage and grab your copy. Uh, if I decide to charge for that in the future, which I'm leaning toward, you will have already gotten it. You have lifetime access. You'll never have to pay for it. So go and grab it before I decide to charge for it. And if I charge for it, it's not going to be, you know, $49. It's going to be hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars. So We'll see, but go grab it. It's free for you now, and uh, I will talk to you in a week. All right, we'll see you guys next time. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.